I give honor to all of the ministry that's here and especially those men that I am sharing uh, this pulpit with this weekend. Look forward to the word of the Lord from Brother Smith in the morning and Brother Wells, both capable men of God that are going to help us. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, then also my good friend, Brother Tipton, and a very qualified man of God to speak on uh, the subject of business's mission and uh, the way to go about it. And uh, also looking forward to the minister session in the morning with Brother Morton. And if it's anything last night, like last night, it's going to be inspirational and quite strengthening. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. I love the ministry. Where would any of us be without a preacher in our life that preached to us the gospel initially? And, and we all had to have that. But if that was where we had stopped listening, we wouldn't be here tonight. Amen. And uh, the Bible says that God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And uh, we often kind of cast that off onto the unbeliever that the preaching of the gospel is to them that do not believe. But I'm going to tell you that that work of preaching continues. The moment you stop believing, what you're hearing preached is the moment you put your salvation in jeopardy. Amen. I thank God for preachers who preach the word of the Lord. Amen. This is a very special meeting. We already feel a very special visitation of the Holy Ghost. And I have been a part of, attended many meetings, conferences, and men's conferences. But in my opinion, this men's conference is favored of God with a special touch every year that I've been able to be here uh, with a very special touch and visitation of the Holy Ghost. I credit Brother Townley and his passion and vision and his church that certainly continue to ask for that. But I also credit the great men of God who come with a desire and an expectation and a hunger. Because I'm going to tell you, when you show up hungry and you show up expecting, God is going to do what only God can do. Amen. And I certainly uh, do not want to abuse the privilege and I say thank you to every pastor who has entrusted your men to attend and to uh, receive from the word of the Lord. Amen. And I trust and pray that God will help us to be a blessing to each and every one. Young, old. Amen. New or well experienced. Amen. I pray that the Holy Ghost will help us tonight. Amen. Is that your desire? Amen. I know it doesn't really mean a lot to anyone here tonight, but I, uh, my dad passed away uh, in August of 2020. Uh, very faithful man of God. And uh, so I read tonight from a Bible that he carried in the last years of his life. Amen. In honor of him and his preaching and dedication to the kingdom of God. Would you stand tonight? We're going to 1 Samuel chapter 30. I thought it very fitting to preach to men out of the Bible marked up, handled, read by a man 
uh, that I consider to be one of the most faithful men I've ever known. 1 Samuel chapter 30. And we'll read beginning in verse 1. Before we read, why don't you just one more time reach out to God. If you have a free hand, why don't you lift it under the Lord right now. Oh, I feel His help in this house. We don't want it to be just another moment, but we want it to be a special moment of the Holy Ghost helping us, strengthen us, lead us, guide us, equip us, oh God. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name we pray. 1 Samuel chapter 30 beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass. When David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept, until they had no more power to weep. I want to draw your attention to verse 4. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. I want to talk to us for just a little while tonight with the help of the Holy Ghost on this subject. When men cry. When men cry. Would you pray and let's ask the Holy Ghost to help us here tonight. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for every single soul that's in this house. These great men of God who are faithful and true and followers of you and the leaders you have placed in their lives. Help us tonight to speak the mind of the Spirit. We pray that you would anoint it afresh upon these lips of clay. Confirm it with the demonstration of your Spirit in whatever dimension and way that you would desire. And we give you all the praise and all the glory in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. Once again, why don't you give the Lord a hand clap of praise and anticipation of His will. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you and please be seated. Amen. The Bible tells us that it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag. I think all of us are aware, at least the majority of us would be aware of the events, the stage, the place in the scripture narrative 
of which we are introduced to this situation when the Bible says that they came to Ziklag. This is a, uh, a very uh, confusing and trying setting of Scripture at first glance when you're just doing your Bible reading chapter by chapter. There are things that are recorded in five or six chapters here from uh, really about eight chapters from chapter 22 through the conclusion of 1 Samuel. There are some things that, that may seem a little out of place or don't line up with what you perceive about God or the plan of God or what God approves of or disapproves of. And so this is a time, of course, also more broadly the picture of this time and setting is, of course, the time of which David is in his uh, run for his life. He has been spending all of his time trying to avoid being killed by Saul. Amen. I know that we're all familiar with the story of David and the story of Saul. And so I will lean tonight on your understanding and knowing of these stories. But uh, the, the consensus is really all over the place about how long was this ongoing. But it seems to appear at least from the first time that David sat in the presence of Saul playing his anointed harp and driving the evil spirits from Saul until the time that we find him at Ziklag and eventually being anointed king in Hebron uh, somewhere between 10 and 15 years of David's life was spent never knowing at what moment the, the next spear or javelin might find its place home and true. And so this was a time in David's life, of course, uh, that he spent dodging and moving and he had uh, uh, fled throughout all of Judah. Everywhere that he could think about hiding, he had went and been found. Uh, he had eventually moved, he and his family, to Moab. Uh, but that did not seem to really provide uh, a lot of safety because every time that David and his men would journey back into the land of Judah, it would be like that Saul was expecting and knew where uh, to show up and when to show up. And so it was a constant time of uncertainty and fear, fleeing for his life. Amen. And so finally David decides. He had tried it once before and uh, it didn't quite work out the way that he anticipated for various reasons that we really don't have time to get into tonight. But finally he once again decides to try and find refuge among the arch enemies of Israel. And we could spend a lot of time talking about why and how and how does this make sense and fit into the narrative of God's word that this great anointed man of God would find refuge among an arch enemy like the Philistines. And yet David goes to Achish the king and he inquires of protection. And God gives him favor with Achish this time and 
Achish gives David and his men and their families a place to dwell called Ziklag. It is a town that is a border town with the land of Judah. It is a place in which David can find refuge because the Bible says that when Saul heard that David had found this place, that he left off his pursuit. Of David. He was finally far enough away that it no longer was a threat to him. It was beyond his thinking. And so during this time uh, that David and his men are living in Ziklag, they find themselves uh, going here uh, and going there. Uh, They find themselves moving freely around uh, uh, within the land of the Philistines and yet raiding into neighboring territories uh, and uh, traveling even back under the cover uh, of darkness at times into Judah. So it is a time when David is settled in a sense, but unsettled in another sense. Uh, He finds himself moving here and there uh, and back again. And so when the Bible says that David uh, and his men were come to Ziklag, uh, this is kind of the understanding uh, of what's been taking place. Uh, Although there has been another very important situation that just precedes uh, this uh, verse of Scripture, and that is that the Philistines once again had arrayed themselves to do battle against Israel. Uh, And there's so much here that we can't qualify and uh, we can't really spend a lot of time on tonight. But David had joined himself in the arrears of the Philistine army. Uh, many believe in just to have the back of Achish uh, and protection. He wasn't engaged in the front, but he was just uh, a guard in the rear of the army. Uh, and as they make their way towards Israel, the rest of the Philistine army uh, naturally and understand Understandably so, becomes very uncomfortable uh, with their giant killer uh, behind them. And uh, uh, just as any of us would be, uh, when the man that took down our greatest warrior and now carries his sword on his side uh, as he marches around the Philistine territory, uh, we would be a little uncomfortable with him behind us uh, during the heat of battle. So they go to Achish and they say, uh, this isn't right. We can't do this. And there's a lot of politics involved and a lot of things uh, to be discussed. But uh, Achish finally goes back to David and says, look, uh, uh, my hands are tied. You're going to have to go home. Uh, My men are not even going to fight if you're with us. Uh, And so it is not beneficial for us that you remain with us. Uh, And so when the Bible says that David and his men were come the third day to Ziklag, it specifically is talking about them returning uh, from this battle, this arraying uh, of the armies with Israel. They are returning back to the little place that Achish has given to them to dwell as a place of safety. 
They are also returning from many times of little forays into former nemesis of the people of Israel. In 1 Samuel chapter number 27, the Bible tells us that David and his men had gone about invading the land of the Bedouins that were living on the outskirts of the little place where they had found safety in Ziklag. The Bible says that they went after the Amalekites and they invaded them. And the Bible says that these were of old the inhabitants of the land. Amen. There's a lot of writers and a lot of people who wrestle with understanding why David would do this. Why just seemingly unprovoked and unapproved would go after the enemies or the Bedouin tribes that had long been invaders themselves of the people of Israel. But I just have to believe tonight that David could never allow himself to become settled in a foreign place as long as he knew that the enemies of Israel still lived. His heart may have been separated from the people, but his heart was still with the people of God. And he said, you know what, men? Our hands are kind of tied right Right now, uh, we don't have a lot to do, uh, but there's a lot of old unfinished business uh, that is still waiting uh, to be done. Uh, and under the anointing, obviously, of God, uh, these 600 men and David uh, would ride into uh, these Bedouin tribes uh, and they would invade them uh, and conquer them. I must just pause long enough tonight to say, uh, we can never become too comfortable uh, and decide, you know what, uh, there's a little bit of that still alive, uh, but we're just going to let it rest. Uh, oh, can I tell you tonight, uh, we need to ever be aware uh, that the enemy of our soul uh, is lurking on the periphery uh, even though we may be comfortable where we're at uh, and feel like there's no need to fight. Uh, we've got to be aware uh, that the enemy is ever looking for opportunity Opportunity to destroy. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to tell you that the enemy, he's an old enemy. He's a wise enemy. And it doesn't matter how young you are tonight or how old you are tonight. Don't ever get it in your mind that you've conquered them all. Because as soon as you and I do, we will find ourselves in a place that we have been jeopardized. I want to make sure that I never get too comfortable in the safety of God's presence that I let too many old enemies. Amen. I want to tell you, I got a lot of ground to cover, not a lot of time tonight, but I want to tell you we're living in a world that is unprecedented really in the modern age. And we are facing all kinds of opposition and all kinds of adversaries that would want to destroy our young men and destroy our middle-aged men. Uh, 
and even go after our elders. But I want to tell you tonight, there's a church that has made up their mind. We're not going to allow new or old. We know the spirit of the adversary is to kill and to destroy and to steal. And we are ever going to be aware So the Bible says that they came to Ziklag. When they arrived at the city of Ziklag. Now I want to, I know you understand this tonight. But I want to reemphasize to all of us here tonight. What kind of men David had surrounding him. These were what we would call a man's man. They were not afraid of the enemy. They were men who were willing to go into battle. Men who were willing to draw the sword. They were men who were in distress. They were men who were in debt. They were men who were discontented. They were looking for a purpose. They were looking for a mission. And they found in David a cause to exercise their strength and not be dominated by their weakness. I want to stress to you tonight the kind of men that these were. Strong, unintimidated men that life had made its attempt to disqualify them from effectiveness. They were discontented. They were in debt. They were distressed. And they felt like, or at least it appears from Scripture... That where they were living, their weaknesses were keeping them from being active and demonstrating their strengths. And if I could say it like this, the Bible doesn't necessarily say it. But if I could say it like this, they looked at one another and said, you know what? Where we are, we're distressed, but we know we can fight. We're in debt, but we know we can fight. We're discontented where we are, but we know we can fight. Let's go find David and see if we can't join a cause that will exercise our strengths. This is not my message tonight, but I pray that before we leave here tonight, the Holy Ghost would anoint every man in this house to quit living under the shame of your weakness and understand that God is able to anoint your hands and anoint your body and anoint your voice to be a mighty man. I could get hung up right there. Yeah, ma'am. You can be seated. And so these men, who the Bible tells us just a couple of chapters before, these are the kind of men 
that were with David. 400 of them initially. And the Philistines invade a little fortified city during the time of harvest. You can read this in chapter 28 or 29, I believe it is. David is living still in the the region of Judah and it's harvest time. And so the people that formerly dwelt in the fortified city or normally did during harvest, they would go out. And much of the threshing was done out in the open harvest field. So while they were out during the harvest and had brought the harvest, and there's another message in all of this, but that when they had brought the harvest to the threshing floor, the Philistines took advantage of them. The armies of the Philistines took advantage of them. And David found out about it. And with 400 men and the anointing and approval of God that said, go and deliver the city. David and 400 men went and utterly pushed back. The Bible says that the little band of Philistines that came to invade that city, they were destroyed. Now, I know you understand this, and I know I'm taking a little time here tonight, but I want to impress this on your mind. They did not get to sit a thousand yards off And pick each one of the Philistines off. But in those days, it was hand to hand. I mean, you could not get any closer to your enemy than what you did in battle in those days. Sword to sword. Javelin to javelin. Shield to shield. Face to face. Skin to skin. Perspiration from one tripping upon the other. Walking away with the blood of your defeated foe still on your, your armor and perhaps even on your body. And David and these 400 men destroyed that band of Philistines and pushed them out. Until David and his men took all of the spoil of the Philistines. Now, I don't know how you would describe these guys, but they're bad. Mighty men. No weakness in their strength to fight and be willing to get face to face with the enemy and exact vengeance upon them. So I think you got it. These are not weaklings. Frail. Afraid men. These are men strong and will, as old brother Louie used to say, fight at the drop of the hat and sometimes they drop the hat. And they come riding back. The sound of the horses' hooves 
the sound of 600 men now uh, footsteps uh, up on hardened packed earth uh, marching their way back uh, into their little sanctuary city uh, of Ziklag and they walk into the, the city limits of the town uh, and all of a sudden it dawns on them that something is bad wrong I mean, we could play it out all kinds of ways. But at some point, the reality of what had happened settled upon 600 men. There were no children running out to meet them. There were no wives coming to hug their necks. And the smell in the air was that of burnt timber and smoldering ruins and all of a sudden it began to dawn on these men that everything they owned everything they possessed right down to their families was gone the world they thought they were coming home to was destroyed the world they had begun comfortable living in the world in which they had uh, become comfortable knowing uh, what was on this little street corner and they could move around in the dark you know how it is uh, and, and they knew exactly where everything was uh, but now the landscape looked different uh, now everything had changed uh, and these hardened men uh, who were strong in battle uh, unafraid to face any adversary uh, it started dawning on them what had taken place their homes had been burned their possessions had been taken and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captivity the Bible says that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag while David and his men were away. Now just stay with me tonight for a little while. This, this word that the Bible uses, and I know some people say, you know, we get tired of all the emphasis on words in the Bible. Well, let me just help you tonight. The economy of the Bible is words. It is God's communication to all of us, as Brother Townley so aptly referenced tonight. And sometimes unpacking the words that are concise for economy reasons and understanding Understanding the broader picture helps us to get a bigger view of what is going on and what God is saying. And so in this little word, invade, there is the idea not of just an insertion where they just, you know, laser-like came in and took the one hostage they were after. No, no, no. This word, invade, literally, the word picture is of a host, an army, army spreading out in a long line and surrounding in entirety whatever they were going after so that not one could escape. No animal could run off and not be taken as spoiled. 
no individual could flee away and warn another of what was going on. They spread out and they came intimidatingly into the city. Can I tell you tonight that is no different than 2022. We have reached a place in this life that no preacher can put his finger in every spot and say no no not there no no not there I want to tell you the adversary is invading he's looking for every little crevice that he can get in he's looking for every little avenue that he can come in for and he's coming for your wife and he's coming for your daughters and he's coming for your sons stay with me for a little while tonight so we can get where we're going yeah, ma'am. If we, if we ever were in a day where the enemy was invading, it's now. We are well beyond the time where someone can just stand up and preach against that and preach against that. The enemy is looking for every little way that he can get in. But Brother Godair, what amazes me about this story and, and it was the wisdom I know and the insight of the Amalekites it would have been better brother Wells if they would have killed every single person because at least in death there is finality but the Bible says that they took the wives the sons and the daughters captives They carried them away because they knew psychologically that they could get into the heads of these men. And all of a sudden it's going to start running wild. What are they going to do with my wife? What are they going to do to my daughter? They're going to force my sons into military uh, service. They're going to take Israelite boys, put Philistine Amalekite garments on them, and send them out to fight. It would have been better if they would have just killed them. And now all of a sudden, these men who knew how to handle passion they knew when the passion of war would build up in them and they would draw their sword and with a guttural sound in their throat they would wade off in the midst of Philistines or Amalekites or whatever army it was and they would obtain victory. But now these strong men have facing an enemy they had never faced before. They are up against something they have never come up against before. And all of a sudden, everything going on in their minds, the passion they begin to feel was no longer the passion of pursuit. It was no longer the passion of victory. It became the passion of despair. I don't know how. I don't know what to do. My son's been carried away. 
He's turning into something I never thought or never anticipated of my son. My daughter's becoming something. Now all this is playing in their mind. You know what it is. My daughter, what is she going to be in 10 years? Where is she going to, she's turning into, what are they going to do with my wife? Who's she going to be forced to be married to? And all of a sudden, men that knew how to stand against opposition with strength became overwhelmed with despair. And the Bible says, That everybody with David, now 600 men strong, lifted up their voices and wept. Now I know this is, you know, splitting hairs perhaps, but can I tell you that this is a word of passion. This is not a word of just shedding a few tears. Going over and sitting down on a stump and a few tears dripping off of the chin. This is the sound of a broken passion beginning deep within the man as despair begins to creep throughout his entire being. As his mind is loosed and runs rapid in what will be the end of his son and the end of his daughter and the end of his wife. And one by one, 600 strong fighting men crumble to the ground in despair. And all that David can hear is the Broken sound of men moaning in broken despair and fear and paralyzed to do anything. And in that moment of paralysis, the Bible says that they wept until there was no power left in them. Now, I don't want to overemphasize this and drag it out too much, but if you could at least in your mind picture walking into Ziklag at that moment. These 600 mighty men of David, strong. And they are lying all over the ground. Moaning, broken, helpless. And when despair begins to ease out, bitterness follows hot behind it. And they begin to search for an object in which to vent their bitterness at the loss. Of everything. And the Bible says that their eyes fell on David. You're the reason we got in this to begin with. You're the one that led us to this place. 
You're the one that said if we do this, uh, everything will be all right. You're the one that said uh, if we come with you and abide in Ziklag, uh, our wives will be safe. Our daughters will be safe. Maybe it was even at David's suggestion that all 600 ride away with Achish and the Philistine army and leave that little abode of people unprotected. And now it has cost him everything. And bitterness begins to ebb into the void that despair left. They start searching for an object to vent. I would like to ask a question at this point tonight of all of us here. And that is, are you and I becoming the man we want to be? Or are we becoming the man God wants us to be? Are we enhancing our skills where we want them to be enhanced? Or are we becoming strengthened in the places God wants us to become strengthened? Now you got to stay with me to the end or you're going to get... Are we focusing on what will make us the man we want to be? Or are we focusing on what will make us the men that God wants us to be? Because I'm going to tell you tonight that if I spend too much time focusing on the man I want to be, I may put my family in jeopardy of being carried away. I may put my sons in jeopardy when my passion lies outside of putting God and the church front and center. It's going to get a little tight here for a few moments tonight, but just stay with me. When I am okay, now I, I hope I can help everybody here tonight, uh, yeah, ma'am, uh, uh, from those that are young and old, married, unmarried, uh, I want to help us all here tonight. Uh, but I want to preach to us uh, that when the dominant power force uh, in our home uh, is the mother or the wife, we are becoming the men we want to be and not the man God wants us to be. And in those moments and in those times where I'm focused on everything out there. I can put my family in jeopardy of being carried away. And I can find myself in a moment broken, weeping, and bemoaning, and looking for one.
to place the blame with. Now, I want to be very clear tonight. I believe men ought to be men. They ought to enjoy doing the things that men do. Building, working, hunting, fishing, adventure, pursuing excellence. That should be the drive of a man. But I want to tell you, when it's in pursuit of being the man that I want to be, in contrast to the man God wants me to be, You say, then how do I know if this is so? Our passions tell the story. Now, you still with me? When I can spend an hour in a flash talking with enthusiasm about adventure and pursuit and things that make me be the man I want to be and then walk into the sanctuary where the battle is raging for my son and the battle is raging for my daughter and I'm not easily moved and I'm not easily engaged and I'm not easily stirred to get behind the preacher and say, come on, let's save our sons. Let's save our daughters. Let's keep the safety of our wives strong. I am sent tonight to tell you of the Holy Ghost that we might be becoming the men that we want to be. But not the man. God wants us to be. You say, well, what do you mean? Because these men had developed an identity of being warriors. But they had never seen themselves as being the rescuer of their own. And when their own was taken, they didn't know how to act. They didn't know what to do. And at that point, they didn't even feel like they had a leader to lead them into the pursuit that was needed. I have for some time, and you're going to find this humorous because it really is, but I have for some time been intrigued by the mountaineering community. Not because I have any anticipation to ever join them. But Brother Townley, I have found that within the mountaineering community, there is discipline of which cannot be hardly found in any other phase of life. The discipline of, and I'm talking about if you're really into it, if you are a mountain climber, And you have set your sights on the seven summits of the world. And you are disciplining your entire life structure with that goal. 
and you are, and I don't want to get off into it tonight, but it's, it's powerful stuff that these people, uh, let's just use Everest because we're all fairly familiar with Mount Everest. Uh, if you're really going to succeed, it's become a vacation spot and it's put a lot of people in danger because they don't understand that at a minimum, if you're really going to summit Everest, even though it is not the most difficult mountain to climb, though it is difficult for a novice, uh, but for one who is experienced, it is not the most difficult, but it is the most dangerous. And if you are going to summit it, you must commit at a minimum of one year to condition your body and your mind. I'll look at Brother Wells when I say this next statement because it won't hurt much. And we want to spend 30 minutes thinking we're going to win the victory of spiritual warfare. We've studied an hour, man, and we think we really got something to say. While the rest of the week we were consumed with adventures. Stay with me. We're going somewhere. This isn't all negative here tonight. Just go with me. But among the mountaineering community, and I don't have time to go back and talk about all this. Some of you are probably aware of this. You probably keep up with this kind of stuff. But uh, among the mountaineering community, there's a little saying. When, when things get tough and, and when reality hits and they lose a friend on a mountain and, and, and things just don't go right, uh, there's a little saying that's developed from an old mountaineering man that, that had quite an adventurous life. Uh, but there's a little saying that comes out uh, and they say, you know, uh, we are just conquerors of the useless. We spend all this energy... And when we get to the top, it's only personal self-gratification. There is no answer for anyone at the mountain peak. There is no insight. There is no world peace. There is no, there is no, there is no, there is no. We just simply are conquerors of the useless. First time I ever read that phrase, my heart was smote. When I examined my own life. And recognized how many useless things I had spent time conquering while valuable things waited. You say, am I becoming the man I want to be or the man God wants me to be? The passions tell the story. I know I'm nailing this home here for just a minute tonight, but the passions really tell the story. And so now there is a difference in the cry of despair and the cry of pursuit. In Ziklag, there are men who have spent their time conquering how to win wars against the enemies that really they have no personal investment in. But now their families are taken, their sons, their daughters, and their wives. And they begin pointing a blaming finger at David. And bitter words start coming out of their mouth. And envy and strife and jealousy start showing up in their eyes. And word catches on the wind and drifts into David's ear that they even spoke of stoning him 
And the sound of moaning and the sound of crying is ringing in their ears. And David responded in a very natural way, just like I probably would and have at times. The Bible says that David was greatly distressed. He started feeling the pressure. He started feeling the burning of failure. He started feeling the hopelessness of this is where it ends. He started feeling the despair of it all being lost. But all of a sudden. Do you know that it's in one verse, verse 6 of 1 Samuel chapter 30, that two words appear. The word distressed and the word encouraged. When David heard men crying, he said they've got the passion. But we've just got to get it pointed in the right direction. The passion is there. It's burning inside of them. But it's pointed in the wrong direction right now. And somehow we've got to get these moaning, crying men of despair pointed in the direction of pursuit and the recognition that everything you've lost is available to be gained back. And all of a sudden, David is in this distressed place. You can be seated. I hope I'm not going too long tonight. I should have kept track of time here, but let me hurry. Amen. He's in this distressed place. And the Bible says, we've read it, we've heard it preached many, many times, that David encouraged himself in the Lord. I don't know about you, that always gives me trouble. It gives me a little struggle to put it all together. Until I recognize one time that that little word encouraged means to bind to. If I could say it like this, it's like being down. And what's really been there all along and is immovable, you finally get a hold of it. It means that he bound himself to the Lord. And when he bound himself back to God, he felt strength coming. And when he felt strength coming, he got encouraged. Even though everybody in the camp was still in despair. Even though victory still seemed a long ways off. When he got to remember the feeling of the oil dripping down his face and onto his garments. When he got to remember the feeling of watching Goliath fall face forward into the ground. Something got a hold of him. And he said, wait a minute. We've got the passion to win. Give me just a few more minutes, please. If there is one overwhelming feeling that has shown itself in the last two years, it is the feeling of hopelessness. 
Just like Brother Townley said, there was a, a time in 2020 we didn't know if we would have the approval to be gathered like this again. For the first time in a generation, dawned on us that life can be fragile. Hopelessness. But hopelessness is a passion of despair. But as long as a man still has a spark of passion, And he will bind himself to the Lord. That hopeless passion can be turned into a determined expectation of getting everything back. David understood there is a difference. In the cry of despair and the cry of pursuit, one means there is no victory. The other means you better look out because when God's men get a cry in their bosom of pursuit that says God said we could have it and we're going to have it. Very quickly, I'm hurrying. So the first thing David did is he pulled himself out of that distress spot and he bound himself back to God. And when he did, he found strength. And the second thing he did is he bound himself to the man of God. I know where my strength comes from. But now I need direction. I want to preach to somebody in this house tonight that you have convinced yourself, I won't stay here long, but you have convinced yourself that your pastor has become the obstacle to your children. But if you'll tune your ear a little clearer and you'll bind your oh I feel like I just stepped into the Holy Ghost I'm preaching to some men tonight you're saying pastor you're the reason why Johnny quit church you're the reason why Susie got carried away but I've come to encourage you tonight first you need to find you an altar and bind yourself back to God and then you need to find your man of God and bind yourself back to him and say preach to me preacher preach to me pastor when you say go we're gonna go when you say stop we're going to stop when you say pursue we're going to pursue it is sad that and I'm closer to being done than you think so just give me it is said there's no wrath like the wrath of a mama bear 
separated from her cubs. And that's true. We know that. But I'm going to tell you, it cannot match a man so upset that he cannot keep the tears from pouring out of his eyes. He's not. He's, he's gotten a revelation. I'm not going to put my face on the floor and weep in despair anymore. But the tears you're seeing now are the tears of revelation that I've got the passion to pursue. And I'm getting behind the man of God. Brothers, I want to tell you there is no army like an army of men who have learned the value of passion and tears streaming down their face have drawn their swords and say, we're going after our sons. The sports world got them, but we're going and getting them. Hollywood swallowed them, but we're going and taking them back. I feel the unction to tell a father tonight, don't give up. It's not too late. Don't quit. Get behind your man of God. This was not intended, but I feel so strongly to say this. I'm preaching to a father tonight. You either need to go home or make a phone call and tell your son and tell your daughter and tell your wife, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I was wrong what I said about the man of God. I was wrong what I said about our pastor. We don't need to go where the walls don't exist. We don't need to go where Ziglag is left exposed. But we're going to stay here. I know I've let you get carried away. But I went to men's conference. And I got a passion burning inside of me. The tears wouldn't stop flowing. And I got a passion to pursue. I want to tell you what happens. When men cease to cry in despair and they begin to cry in pursuit, it opens the door for restoration. I wonder what would happen Sunday morning if every church represented here tonight made up their mind when the song began Sunday morning, the loudest sound in the sanctuary It's going to be the deep, resonating, guttural sound of men who are saying, we're going after it. Revival is ours. Growth is ours. Dominion is ours. We're going after our sons. We're going after our daughters. Properly directed passion opens the door for restoration. And I got to hurry. I'm going to cut a lot of this out. Oh, my Lord. Is it 930 really? All right. I'm finishing up. You can be seated for just a moment. (laughs) 
It opens the door for restoration. I'm going to tell you, there's some men sitting in this house tonight that you have, you have not pursued in a passion like you should. And the breakthrough in your local church is going to be born inside of you in this house tonight. Your, your family is going to think, what in the world happened? He's wanting to go to every prayer meeting. What in the world happened? He's wanting to go to midweek Bible study. He always has an excuse not to go to midweek Bible study. But now all of a sudden, he's saying, we're going to church. It's church time. We're going to the house of God. He always wants to show up just as church starts, but he wants to get in the prayer room now. You know what's going to happen? The restoration. I don't have time to preach all this tonight, but let me just say this. 200 men were so faint. You can be seated. So faint from the whole situation. That they could not pursue. But I'm going to tell you what happens with the passion to pursue. That is born when men cry. When the sound of cry burns inside of their bosom. It opens the door. Not just to go get what's yours. But go get what belongs to them. And bring it back to them. And say come on brother. I'm bringing you with me now. I've brought your wife back. I brought your children back. You're not going to die. I want to tell a hopeless father, you're not going to die. You're not going to die because the men around you are going to pull you up. And I'm closing with this. You can be seated just a moment. What does it look like when a man gets this kind of passion? I've got a lot of examples here tonight. I'm just going to use this one. Jesus has just performed his first miracle. Turning water to wine. And the Bible says on his way, he stops by the temple. And he drives out the money changers. Turns over the tables. We know he does this twice. In the beginning of his ministry, at the end of his ministry. But I'm just going to tell you, he didn't walk in there. Now, I've preached whole messages about Jesus. He was a carpenter. I mean, he was a man. He wasn't a Renaissance painting. I'm telling you, the Renaissance Jesus doesn't plow a whip. The Renaissance Jesus doesn't step into the host of opposition and drive it out single-handedly. I don't even have time to preach that. It's in there, but I don't have time to preach it. I'm going to tell you, he walked in there and drove them out. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, he didn't just stand over in a corner and say, uh, would y'all please not do this? But when the right passion gets a hold of a man, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell you what I believe, Brother Cox. I believe tears were rolling down Jesus' cheeks. 
fury was in his face. His heart was broken and he couldn't control his passion. But he said, this is the house of prayer and you have made it a den of thieves. You know what that passion did? When he drove out the wrong, the right came in. The lame, the blind, the halt, they came in and were healed. Remain standing, musicians, come, please. I've had to cut this up pretty good, so I hope it made sense. What does this look like? There is a psalm that we quote often, sing about. Psalms 149, verse 6, it says, let the High praises of God be in their mouth. And that's where we get a lot of traction out. But this is actually an offensive military concept that the psalmist is putting into words. He is trying to make a song out of what it's like in war. Let the high praises of God. The literal translation says, let the rumble be in their throat. And a two-edged sword in their hand. Execute. Break chains. Loose shackles. The psalmist said there is a process to binding up the chains of kings. There is a process of putting nobles in fetters. There is a process of executing judgment. And it's when men who seem to have lost so much get their passion. And that cry, when men cry, hell shakes. I didn't come tonight to preach to you about a sadness that puts you on your knees and you feel like there's nothing to do. I've come tonight to preach to you there is a sound of men crying that makes hell tremble. And it sounds like men who are going after their sons. It sounds like men who are going after their daughters. It sounds like men who are going after revival, after the promises of God. Yeah, I think I hear it beginning to burn in somebody's bosom. It's almost indistinguishable. It's a sound, guttural sound in the throat. It's a pulling of a sword and it's going after what's mine. Come on, let this place be filled with the sound 
of men crying. Now, if it's possible, I'm done. If it's possible, if you have other men here from your church, get with them. If you don't, you're by yourself, get with another group. Maybe there's a neighboring church with you. In the next 15 minutes in this sanctuary, there's going to be something born. There's going to be something break. They're going to lead us in worship. But I want you to, come on, you're going to have to get uncomfortable to do this. I want you to get a guttural cry in your bosom. In your mind, you're pulling out a two-edged sword. Here it is. Here it is. Come on, let it settle on you. Come on, let that anointing pulsate throughout your being. Yes, 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 yes. You're going home to revival. You're going home to bringing back the sons, bringing back the daughters. Restoration. Come on, sir, you've got a role to play. Come on, sir, you're key to your church. Come on, sir, you're in pardon. Your voice in worship. Your voice in prayer. Come on, let's hit prayer in the Holy Ghost. Come on, maybe your church has been going through a little trial. Maybe you've been going through a little struggle. There's breakthrough in this house tonight. There's breakthrough in this house tonight. Come on, I hear the sound of men crying. It's the sound of pursuit.
Everything that the devil stole from me, I'm taking it back. Everything the devil stole from me, taking back my song, my dance, my joy, my peace, taking it back. Everything that the devil stole from me, I'm taking it back. Everything that the devil stole from me, I'm taking it back. Everything that the devil stole from me, give me back my song, my dance, my joy, and my peace. Admit there have been times he's tried to take away my joy. 
on the devil today. His kingdom is under attack. Well, I'm on my way down to his cave, taking my property back. sound of victory come forth one more time blessed be the wonderful name of Jesus praise you for the victory Lord. Hallelujah. glory 
continue.